text here this morning. Proverbs chapter 12. And let's do the smart thing and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be here. And we just pray as we just take this time to get into your word. We pray as always, Lord, you would teach, we would listen. Just let your spirit guide and direct. And just uh, thank you, Lord, for this in your name. Amen. All right, continuing our study here through the book of Proverbs. Now, one of the key points that have always popped out here in the book of Proverbs is that idea of wisdom, guidance, and instruction. And we're continuing that theme here today, this idea of seeking godly wisdom. Uh, seeking wisdom before there's a problem. Seeking wisdom to make those right, godly decisions in life. And seeking that instruction. And in fact, the first verse here that we're going to go over today deals with this. Look at Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. He who hates correction is stupid. That's a pretty blunt verse. But that's a very true verse, isn't it? Uh, you know, if you look at these words here, the first one, whoever loves instruction, that word literally means correction. Part of your maturity as a believer in the Lord is you are willing to be corrected. If you are not willing to be corrected on areas you are wrong, I, there's a term I like to use that says you have an unteachable spirit. Because you believe you're always right. You believe your way is the right way. You believe there's no other way. That is an unteachable spirit. You do not love instruction. You do not love correction. No one really likes to be corrected. No one really likes to be told that they're wrong. It's tough. I've shared this story with you before that a few years ago I got a letter from somebody. It was numerous pages, single-spaced, handwriting. And the last three words of the letter were, repent, repent, repent. Obviously the letter didn't sit real well with me. And my flesh really wanted to respond in a certain way. But there were elements of that letter that the person was right. Now, a lot of the letter, the person was wrong. But there was elements where the person was right. And it was very difficult for me to accept that instruction, to accept that correction. But this verse came to my mind because part of being a mature believer is I want to be corrected when I'm wrong. Because you know what the other result of not being corrected when you're wrong is? Look at the end of verse 1. It's being stupid. And you can look that word up. And you know what stupid means? It means stupid. <laughs> There's no way to water that down. So therefore, if you have an unteachable spirit, if you're not willing to listen to the other side, if you're not willing to accept correction, excuse me, correction, instruction, the Bible says that's just stupid. There's no other way around that. But yet there's a lot of people that love the Lord and, and claim to have that deep walk with the Lord, but they don't see it from the other person's perspective. The longer I walk with the Lord, this is what I realize, and I know this sounds contradictory, I realize the longer I walk with the Lord, I'm right on more issues than I think, and I'm also wrong on more issues than I think. There are certain issues that just become more black and white and more clear that, you know what, I'm right on this. And there's no way to water this down, even though the world wants you to. But there's other issues that you stop and you realize, Lord, maybe I've looked at this from a wrong perspective. Lord, help me to accept that correction, because that's part of being mature. Because as you accept correction, you love knowledge, as it says there in verse 1. And if you love knowledge, you love that wisdom. That wisdom is a building block. It's a foundation of your life. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says there's no other foundation that which has been laid than that which is Jesus Christ. We like to say out here at marriages that the only way a life can stand is if it's on the foundation of Christ. The only way a marriage can stand is if it's on the foundation of Christ. A life and a marriage not built on the Lord is not going to stand. 
You have to have that foundation of wisdom, guidance, and instruction. That's the purpose of the book of Proverbs, is to seek godly wisdom, but also to seek wisdom before there's a problem. How many times have you heard us say that in this study? You seek wisdom before there's a problem, so therefore you know how to properly handle the problem when it arises. So when you look at this idea of foundation, there's three verses here that talk about this. Verse 3, A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. Established, firm foundation. If you want a strong root in the Lord, where does it come through? It comes through wisdom there in verse 3. The root of the righteous cannot be moved. What is righteous? We've talked about this last two Sundays. Righteous means being right in the eyes of God. Not being I'm right and you're wrong. It means being right in Jesus Christ. That you have been made right in the Lord through him. So if I'm righteous, that means I have a relationship with Jesus. That means I have a root that is now in the foundation of Christ. I can't be moved. If you want a little more study on this, try Psalm 1, where it talks about the godly man is planted by the waters of life. That's the way it's supposed to be, is you are planted in the foundation of Jesus. And as you are planted in the foundation of Jesus, you are rooted in him, you can't be moved. But what's the flip side of this? If you're not rooted in him, you can be moved. That's why it's so important to have your foundation down. Look at uh, verse 7. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Do you want your house, your family, to stand? Well, then make sure your house is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what it comes down to. The house of the righteous will stand. You know, the best thing you could do for your family, the best thing you could do for your marriage, the best thing you could do for your kids, your grandkids, or any of your relationship, is to build your foundation on Jesus Christ. Because the house of the righteous will stand. That's wisdom. And you've seen it, and I've seen it. Marriages, families, relationships, individuals that did not put their house on the rock of the Lord, and it did not last. If you want further study on this, check out Matthew chapter 7. Remember the classic story from Sunday school? The wise man built his house on the rock, the foolish man built his house on the sand. And remember the rains and the storm came, and what did it do? It knocked down the foolish man's house because his house was built on the sand, but the one on the rock stayed. But you have to remember, the same storm that knocked down the foolish man's house is the same storm that hit the wise man. The only difference was the wise man had his house on the rock. See, so often we run into Christianity, this fallacy that um, I'm walking with the Lord, I'm saved, so therefore no problems are going to happen. No. The same storm that hit the foolish man is the same storm that hit the wise man. The same storms hit us both. The only difference is if I am rooted and on the foundation of Jesus Christ, my house and life will stand because of the foundation I have in Jesus. That's the only difference between the wise and the foolish. Look here at verse 12. The wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. So what we have here is we're on the foundation of the Lord, we are rooted in the foundation of the Lord. And what comes out of this being rooted in the foundation of the Lord? Verse 12, fruit. Ah, fruit is so vital. Turn, if you will, to John 15. Two very important verses here that deal with fruit. John 15. So often people come up and they're trying to figure out these deep life questions. Why am I here? What's my purpose? What does God want me to do? And I tell you guys, God makes it clear. God makes it simple of what he wants you to do. And those answers are found here in John 15. Look at verse 8. John 15, verse 8. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you'll be my disciples. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. See, you don't have to spend countless dollars figuring out your purpose in life. You don't have to sit there and do all these other studies to figure out your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is very simple. Your purpose in life is to go out and bear fruit for the Lord. It's not complicated. Well, how do you go and bear fruit? Well, let's just keep it simple. If you're married, be the best spouse you can be. If you have kids, raise your kids in a godly way. If you have friends, be the best friends you can be. Go out there and shine for Jesus Christ and all you say and do. That's bearing fruit. Be a light and a witness in what you say. See, so often we base our life on what we want. So my purpose in life is to save up enough money to do X, Y, or Z. My purpose in life is to finally get that bigger house. My purpose in life is to get that promotion. My purpose in life is to find that gal finally. No, my purpose in life is to go out and bear fruit for the Lord. Be it married, be it single, be it single again, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go out and bear fruit for the Lord. When you have that mindset that that's the reason I'm rooted in Jesus Christ, that's the reason I have a relationship with Him is to bear fruit, everything else becomes so much easier. That situation at work that I'm stressing out about, oh God, you take care of it. I'm just here to bear fruit. That family situation that I can't control, Lord, you just take care of it. I'm just here to bear fruit. You tell me what to do, Lord, and I'll commit. I'll do the best I can and I'll commit the rest to you. So I'm just here to bear fruit for the Lord. Now I love that. What does the apple tree do? It produces apples. That's all it does. I've never seen an apple tree worry. It just gets up there and produces apples. It's happy. I'm just supposed to produce fruit. Now I don't choose what type of fruit I produce. I don't choose the season of which I produce fruit. God has just said, be available, be ready by being rooted in me in Jesus Christ to produce fruit when I ask you to. Boy, it makes life so much easier. And when you shine for the Lord, what happens? Jump back now to Proverbs 12. Look at Proverbs 12, verse 8. It says, a man will be commended according to his wisdom. A man will be commended according to his wisdom, but he who is of a perverse heart will be despised. That word commended, some of you in NIV it says praise. And actually that word commended actually means shine. So it says a man will shine, will be praised according to his wisdom. Now note, this is not talking about that I shine because of what I do and say, oh, everybody look at James because he has wisdom. No, the point of this is my wisdom that comes from the Lord, being rooted in the Lord, on the foundation of the Lord, being righteous in the Lord, shines back on the Lord. So that way when people come and see the wisdom that you're walking in, it's an opportunity for you to point that right back to Jesus Christ. Because you know what? Let's just tell, tell a little secret here. You have no wisdom, and I have no wisdom. Our only wisdom, our only guidance and direction in life comes through Jesus Christ. So when I realize that, I don't shine on my own accord. I shine for the Lord, and I point people back towards Him. That's my purpose in life. That's the fruit. Remember, Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, how simple is that? I go out and shine for the Lord in wisdom because I'm rooted in Him, I have a foundation on Him, and I'm producing fruit for Him, and as I produce fruit for Him, it furthers the kingdom of God. Boy, that's the way it's supposed to be. Why do we complicate things? It's that simple. What also comes out of us having wisdom and shining for the Lord? If you're taking notes, there's three points here that come out of this idea of, once again, shining for the Lord in wisdom. Look at verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. You want to be a fool? Don't listen to anybody else. 
There's actually a verse in Isaiah that talks about a person that warms himself by the fire alone. It always amazes me when I run into someone who claims to have a deep walk with the Lord, but they have no fellowship, no accountability, no counsel from anybody. And I'm thinking they're walking in the wisdom of a fool because there is wisdom in counsel. Now remember, there's a balance here. Last week we talked about that verse of wisdom in the counsel of many. You don't want the wisdom of the world. Your best friend probably doesn't have great wisdom sometimes if they're not saved. And even sometimes as Christians we give out wisdom that's not great. You want the wisdom of the Lord. The wisdom that comes from walking with the Lord and seeking Him. But God also uses the body of Christ to seek guidance and direction. And that's what it's talking about here, is being open to seek the guidance and direction that the Spirit reveals to other people. I go up a lot of times to people, and there's a group of them that I feel comfortable contacting and say, hey, what do you think about this? It's not that I'm basing my opinion on what they're saying, but I know that that person will pray over it, I know that person will seek the Lord over it, and I know that person will give godly counsel. Now, how many of you wish you could go back in time and re-listen to godly counsel on some decisions you made in life? Boy, wouldn't that make a world of difference? Sometimes we make those choices, and we make those choices in the wisdom of ourselves, in the wisdom of our friends, and not in the wisdom of God. And those choices then come back to bite us. And don't you wish you could go back and do that? A few weeks ago, um, Nolan and I and the boys went up to a uh, Civil War uh, reenactment up in Toledo. And it was kind of fun to see the whole thing and see the battle. And if you were wondering, the North won again. Um, but we went up, and they had these different characters doing different things. And they had Abraham Lincoln. And it was pretty cool. They had Abraham Lincoln. They had the big top hat. He had the beard. And, and it was just, he was in character. And it was neat. People would come up and try to take pictures of him. And he would ask what a camera is. And it was just pretty cool. The boys recognized Abraham Lincoln. And I, I thought this would be funny. I thought it would be funny to go up to Abraham Lincoln and say, stay away from the theater. Don't go to the theater. Now, the first service didn't laugh at that either. Um, he got shot in the theater. Remember? That's, never mind. I said, I told the first service, the second service will find it funny, and you guys didn't find it funny either. It's funny. Stay away from the theater. Right, forget it. Okay. It is funny. Now you hurt my feelings. Um, moving on. So wisdom, counsel, seeking the Lord. Look at verse 18. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Now we're not actually talking about physical health here, but we're talking about spiritual health. Don't you have a group of people that when you talk to them in the Lord, don't you just walk away feeling better? I mean, it's just that person that when you, when you go into them and, and you talk to them and you walk away saying, they said what I needed to hear. This burden that I walked in with just all of a sudden is now off my shoulders because... Wisdom was there. Counsel was there. And you walk away saying, I feel better about the situation, not because of the words of a man or a woman, but because the Spirit spoke through that person and there's spiritual health there. That's the purpose of the body of Christ. When you take yourself away from that wisdom of the body of Christ, you're taking away counsel, you're taking away health, and look what else you're taking away. Verse 20, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. See, there's joy in seeking wisdom. There's joy in knowing I'm not the only one going through this. You know, just as, as John was mentioning this group coming up, there is health in getting together and saying, I'm struggling with this area. Would you pray for me and encourage me? There is joy to say, you know what, you've been through that. 
You've been through that and you made it through? Boy, I need to hear that. That brings a peace to my heart. There's wisdom and counsel saying, hey, how do I handle this situation? Would you, would you pray for me? That's the purpose of the body of Christ. And when you take yourself and become the loner Christian, the lone ranger that is sitting by the fire all by themselves, you're taking away counsel. You're taking away spiritual health. You're taking away joy because you can do it all on your own. And one thing that's been proven time and time again is nobody can do it on their own. It comes through a foundation and a relationship with Christ through the Holy Spirit's leading. That's how God gets you through. That's the purpose of wisdom. Now, verse 20 also says something there interesting. It's one of those contrast verses. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. See, there's joy and health and wisdom, but what's the flip side of it, verse 20? Deceit. See, but deceit brings you down, doesn't it? See, and this word deceit is carrying a bigger connotation than just lying. Little white lies, whitewashing the truth. This is a deceit that carries over into your lifestyle, too. It's a deceit of, I look like I'm walking in the truth. My outside appearance, but I'm being deceitful because my heart is not where it's supposed to be with the Lord. See, there's a lot of times as Christians that we look really good, but we're really walking in deceit because my heart is not where it's supposed to be. My life is not where it's supposed to be. And every time you read those stories of those pastors falling in the news, you always those people said, I never saw it coming. Because we get so good at being that actor on a stage we get so good as Christians of just always smiling, saying everything's great, God bless you, everything's fine. And really what we're doing is we're living in that deceit. Let's build on this for a little, a little bit. Look at verse 17. He who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. See, the Bible makes it clear that your words will show your true character. I, I can't see your heart, you can't see my heart. But by your words and actions, your heart is revealed and my heart is revealed. So the truth comes out in how I live my life and the truth comes out in how I use my words and, and what I say and do. And if I'm not walking in the truth, as it says in verse 17, declaring righteousness, I'm a false witness. I'm deceit. goes back to what we said earlier. What's the whole purpose and point of our existence? To produce fruit for the Lord. The whole purpose that we're here is to further the kingdom of God. It's not about us, it's about Him. And so what happens is, if I don't do that, I'm living in a false witness. I'm living in deceit. My words and actions show what type of person I am. And a lot of times, our words, oh, I, I believe in Jesus. But let's look at the full package of the words that happen 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Let's look at the full actions of the word. Is there really that relationship there that's supposed to be? Look at verse 13. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. Now, let's just be honest. Has a, a little white lie ever got you in trouble? Boy, it sounds so easy, doesn't it? It sounds so quick just to, to say it and just get out of it. But, but the truth of the matter is it comes back to bite you. The truth of the matter is it, it comes back to hurt you and cause problems. Look at verse 19. The truthful lips shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. It's only there for a moment. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. I had a situation recently with Elias. 
where uh, he came in and he was talking about something that happened at home. And as he was telling me about what happened at home, his story was just not lining up. There's just so many holes in this story. And I just kept saying, Elias, are you, are you telling me the truth? Yeah, this, you know, this is what happened. And I said, Elias, it's, what you're saying is not possible. And then he stops for a second and goes, well, you know, it possibly, it possibly could have been uh, Judah, I think. Possibly could have been Judah. It's like, Elias, Judah didn't do it. Well, it possibly could have been Kenan. <laughs> you know, way to throw your brothers under the bus. And, and the whole point of the matter is we got to the truth. And he was lying. Verse 13, the wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. I told him, I said, man, if you just would have come to me and just told me the truth, we could work through this. Look at the end too of verse 13, the righteous will come through trouble. You want to stay out of trouble? How's this for a mind-blowing point? Don't lie. <laughs> How's that, how simple is that? <coughs> Things are just going to get worse. When we live in that life of deceit, look at verse 19. The lying tongue is but for a moment. See, we think that little white lie is going to get us out of a much bigger issue and we can just get away with it. And it's not even the lying of words, it's the lying of our actions. I'll look good for a moment. I think it was Spurgeon that had the great quote that a broken clock tells the right time two times a day. How often do we look good for a moment? But look at the rest of verse 19. The truthful lips shall be established forever. What's truth? Jesus is truth. John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So when you have a life established on Christ, verse 19, you're established forever. Forever. Isn't that the beauty of salvation? Is that relationship with Jesus is what gets you through the deceitfulness of our life, the deceitfulness of our words, that false witness, that false action will lead us into trouble. It only gets us through for a moment where truth establishes us forever, the truth of Jesus Christ. One more point on this. Look at verse 14. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. It goes back to fruit. You want fruit? Be established in truth. I mean, how simple is that? Be rooted in the truth of Jesus Christ. Have a foundation established, as it said in verse 7, of a house forever. Walk in the wisdom of the counsel of God. And the Bible says that you will then shine for Him. And as you do that, you will produce fruit. See how it all comes together. But yet when you become the Lone Ranger Christian and you don't listen to anybody, you're going to fall. When you quit seeking the counsel of godly men and women, you will fall. When you start going through deceitfulness, not only in words but in actions, you will fall. And we've all seen it. We all know people that lived in that deceitful lifestyle and eventually catches up with them. Where God says, be established in truth and that will keep you out of trouble. I love verse 13. The righteous will come through trouble. Why will they come through trouble? Because they're blameless in the Lord. Isn't that what it comes down to? Excuse me, is being established in truth, seeking wisdom, seeking guidance, seeking counsel, producing fruit. Look how this all comes together. You accept correction, the Bible says you gain knowledge. To reject correction and instruction, the Bible comes around and says that's stupid. As you accept that correction, the Bible says that you're rooted in Christ, your house is established, and you produce fruit. That's the way it's supposed to be. 
The Bible then goes on to say that you walk in wisdom and then you shine in that wisdom. As you shine in that wisdom, you seek counsel and people seek your counsel. The Bible says your health is better, your spiritual health is better, and the Bible says you have joy. He says stay away from the deceitfulness, the false witness of a life, the false witness of your words, because you are known by your words and actions. And when you put this whole package together, you see, Lord, I want to walk in wisdom. I want that. I want to walk in wisdom. But here's the problem with walking in wisdom. It takes effort. Once again, there's a fallacy of the Christian life being easy. Now, hear my words. The Christian life is simple. I accept Christ as my Savior and I live for Him. That's simple. The follow-through is really hard. But the simplicity of it is amazing. God was not talking to a lot of smart people when he introduced salvation. He knows we can't get it. So he makes it simple. You sin, there's a hell. Because you sin, you go to hell. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, so now you get to go to heaven. Now how simple is that? See, God makes it simple. The problem is we have a hard time following through on it. Which is kind of interesting because the next point here in this book, it's about ethics, work ethics. Look at verse 11. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. Okay, we live in a farming community. Harvesting is going on right now. Beans are coming off. Corn's coming off. Okay, as it says in verse 11, he who tills his land will be satisfied with bread. How dumb of it would be for a farmer to go out here and work the ground, plant the stuff in April and May, and then hear the crop comes in September and October and say, nah, I'm not going to take it off. What would be the point of that? If you tilt the land, you're satisfied with bread. How many times have we done this? I'm going to get deeper in the Lord. I, I, I'm going to get my Bible out. I got my notebook out. I got my pen out. I got my concordance out. I'm, I'm going to go deeper in the Lord. I got everything sitting there and it's all ready to go. But then I never crack it open. I've shared with you before one time I was just in this dry spot in my walk and, I, and I, the idea I came up with in my wisdom was I needed a new devotional. So I went to the Christian bookstore. And there's all these devotionals I look through, and I bought this great devotion. I brought, it was wonderful. I brought it home and never used it. And in fact, to this day, it still sits on my bookshelf at home, and it's not one I usually use that often. I didn't till the land. I had all the equipment. The crop was coming up. But you have to go to the next step of till the land. You have to go and do it. And this continues this theme. Look at verse uh, 24 here. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. God is asking for diligence in your walk with him. I've shared with you, I believe it was last week, that, um, or maybe it was Wednesday, that new men's study that we're starting, which, quick plug, coming up this Saturday. Um, wonderful book, Disciplines of a Godly Man. A wonderful book that is straightforward, that comes to you and says, if you want to go deeper in the Lord, you want to be a better husband, you want to be a better father, you want to be a better man of God, then do it. I like that. Because once again, we generally know what we're supposed to do. It's the follow-through. Verse 24, the hand of the diligent. Are you diligent in your walk with the Lord to go deeper in Him? Now, a lot of times people say, oh, I want to go deeper, but I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know where to start. I don't know what's going on. And I'm telling you right now, there is opportunity all over the place to go deeper in the Lord. We just have to do it. Look at verse 27. The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. Bow season started here for deer, right? What would be the purpose of going out there sometimes? And if you're looking for food or whatever, you'd kill the animal and you'd say, nice shot. 
you walk away. The reason why years ago that they killed the animals was to eat the animals. They needed it. See, so often what we do once again spiritually is we get everything out. I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to do this. And I start making inroads into that walk. But then I stop. The Lord reveals to me what to do and then I don't do it. Some of Paul's final words to Timothy were fulfill your ministry. Just, just do it. Let's, let's just be, let's be 100% honest here. Let's quit making excuses and let's just do it. Well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. How many times have you heard us say this? If you're a father, then be a good godly father. If you're a husband, love your wife. If you're a wife, love your husband. If you have kids, raise them. Well, I don't have a friends or I don't have a family. Well, you know what? Be the best grandmother, the best aunt you can be, the best friend you can be, uncle. You have coworkers. You have somebody that you can impact in their walk and their relationship with Jesus Christ. There is always an opportunity to go out and do something. The problem is we're not diligent sometimes to do that. God help us to not want to go deeper, but to truly go deeper in Him. That's wisdom, is to say, Lord, I just don't want to say it. I want to do it. I want to do it. And it's interesting that the subject of, of marriage comes up there, because look at verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. You know, here's the thing, and you've heard me say this a lot. Next to salvation, the greatest thing that God has ever given me is gone. And my priorities in life are very simple. Jesus Christ is number one, Dawn is number two, my boys are number three, and this church is number four. I see a lot of guys that come and they want to talk about ministry. And the first ministry you have as a man is the ministry of your home. And my most important sheep is my wife and my four kids. Because if I'm not being an effective minister and leader at home, how can I effectively be a minister at church? But a lot of times we get that backwards. And I'm telling you right now, the way it's supposed to be is the home comes first. Serve and love at your house. And once again, you may say, well, I'm not married, whatever. Well, you know what? What is your home life like then? It, whatever it is, maybe you're just the mom with kids, or maybe you're the dad with kids, or maybe whatever, you don't have kids. I don't know, maybe you're the grandma and grandpa, whatever season life you're in. You've got to make sure that you are doing those things that God has called you to do. And you know the thing about marriage here is we could stop and do a whole lesson on marriage, and sometimes we complicate marriage way too much. You realize how simple marriage is? Marriage is this. As a man, I'm called to love my wife as Christ loved the church. That means a sacrificial love. That means I, I put her first, and I'm willing to do whatever I can for her, be it dying for her, be it washing the feet, be it doing the dishes, you name it. I'm there to love. That's my job. And now I'm supposed to be the spiritual head of my house, meaning I set a godly example in what I do and say with my kids to take them deeper in their walks with the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do as men. Now, you don't need book after book or study after study. You know what you're supposed to do. The wife's role is pretty simple, too. The Bible says she's supposed to respect, honor, and submit. Now, the question that always pops up, and you've heard me ask this before, is husbands, why do we love our wives? And the answer is we love our wives because God told us to. I love Dawn, but some days she is unlovable. And that's, I'm not making a joke because some days I'm unlovable. The truth of the matter is there are days in your marriage, in your relationship, where your spouse is unlovable. And if your marriage is built on love between you two, that marriage is going to fail because what is your marriage built on? The foundation of Jesus Christ. There are some days you go ask Dawn, you have my permission. Do you want to love James? No, I don't. God told me to. You know, 
And the question comes up of why wives do you respect and honor and submit unto the husband? Because God told you to. Some husbands are not worthy of respect. Some husbands are not very honorable at all. They're bums. But you still respect and honor the position of the husband that God has ordained. And see, what happens in marriage, I say, Dawn, I will love you when you are lovable. Dawn says, I will respect you when you are respectful. Problem is, God says, love her when she's unlovable. And he tells Dawn, respect him and honor him even when he's not being respectful or very honorable. See, and what happens is when you do what you're supposed to do, boy, it works. Marriage can be the greatest blessing you've ever faced, and marriage can be the biggest curse you've ever faced. It really can be. And, and people that have had ups and downs in marriages, you know that. And so often with marriage, we're expecting the other person to make the changes first, where God says, how about I work on you? Work on me. Work on them. And when you work on them, it's easier for you to work on me. No, work on me, Lord. Make me the husband or wife you've called me to be because when it works, it's a blessing. But when it doesn't work, look at verse 4. It's like rottenness in his bones. When I have a guy come in and tells me how rough his wife is, one of the first questions I like to ask him is, well, how much are you loving her? Because when the wife has reached such a point of anger, frustration, bitterness, whatever, sometimes I ask the husband, are you loving her as Christ loved the church? Because if you're not fulfilling your role, the result of that is going to be rottenness in the bones. And boy, it makes marriage tough. So guys, let's just be the leaders that God has called us to be. That would help a lot, wouldn't it, if men would just be men and be the spiritual men that we're supposed to be. You know, and, and gals, I tell you this, become the wives that God has called you to be. The Bible makes it very clear, very clear, that if you have a non-believing husband or non-believing wife, you as the believing spouse, your, your light can be very strong to impact them. Now, they still have to choose to want it or not, but your light can be very strong to impact them and really make a difference in your life, and that's what God wants. And so, diligence, wisdom, and how we do our marriages. Last point that we're going to say here, and this is a verse that you could probably do a whole lesson on, is verse 25. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. This is one of the biggest sins in the body of Christ. The sin of worry, fear, and anxiety. Now, it's kind of funny because we, we rationalize it down that worry, fear, and anxiety, yeah, those are wrong, but they're not really wrong. You know, God said don't murder. That's wrong. Worrying, fearful, and being anxious. Oh, I mean, come on, I know I shouldn't, but... You know, it's kind of interesting. If you study out the wording, the same wording that said do not murder is the same do not when it said do not worry. And so to live a life full of worry, fear, and anxiety is a sin in the eyes of God. Because when you live a life full of worry, fear, and anxiety, you're really saying, Lord, I don't trust you. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Faith and worry are totally contradictory terms. You can't have faith in God and be worried about it. You can't have faith in God and be fearful about it. You can't. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I get myself worked up on stuff. And so the thing that I've been praying again and again is, Lord, is Lord, show your faithfulness again. Lord, you've shown your faithfulness in so many things. Lord, show your faithfulness again. And, and how many great passages are there on this? One of my favorite ones is Psalm 37.4. Do not fret, it only causes harm. How simple is that? And, and why am I worried? I get worried because it's out of my control. And so therefore, since it's out of my control, I feel like I don't have any say in it. And so therefore, I'm worried. I want to pull it back. I want to get worked up about this. Lord, what are we going to do? And all this other type of stuff. And God says, do you trust me? Yeah. Well, then trust me. Parents, God loves your kids more than you do. 
God cares more about your kids than you could ever imagine. God's going to take care of them. Now, I, I tell you right now, I'm preaching that and sometimes not living that because I worry about my kids. You know that, that work situation that's got you all worked up about tomorrow or the rest of this week? God knows about that. He's going to get you through it. You know that health scare that's coming up that you're fearful about? God knows about that. He says, don't be afraid. I got you covered. Now, I didn't promise that everything's going to work out the way you wanted, but God says, I'll take care of you. See, part of trusting God is trusting that whatever comes your way goes through the filter of the Lord's hand, so therefore, whatever happens, He's going to give you the strength and wisdom and guidance to get through it. How many times have I heard people say, oh, I wouldn't be able to handle this if this happened? Number one, you would be able to handle it because there's something called a gift of faith that kicks in when it comes. And number two, who says it's going to happen? I know so many people, well, I just know what's going to happen. No, you don't. Well, I'm right. If you're right 100% of the time, I'll talk to you. But if you've been wrong once, that proves your fallacy. And that's the truth. We, we may think we know what's going to happen. We may be sure of it. And you know what? Sometimes it may, but we don't know everything. We don't. And so when we let fear, worry, and anxiety get the best of us, we're really bringing depression on us. Let's just be honest. Verse 25. When you let fear, worry, and anxiety get the best of you, a cloud of depression hangs over your head. It just does. Because you're constantly worked up about this. You're constantly anxious about that. You're constantly afraid of this. And that depression and discouragement just plants itself right over you. And you can't see God working. You can't. Because the only thing you usually see is the cloud of depression right over you. We say this out here all the time. Keep your eyes on the Savior and not on the situation. If you keep your eyes on the situation, you're going to get depressed and discouraged because you live in a very discouraging, depressed world. This world is depressing. This world is discouraging. This world is awful. It is. And when you allow yourself to be focused on the situation, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to get depressed. But yet when you keep your eyes on the Savior, He says, I can get you through this storm. He goes, but you've got to trust me. Turn, if you will, to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. It's Matthew 6, and we all know these passages, verse 25. Therefore I say to you, Matthew 6, verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, see how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, or you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Now how, how straightforward is that? But here's the thing, is, is you and I both have to make a choice that we're truly not going to let the things of the world bring us down. Because you know what? There are things that are worrisome. There are things that are fearful, and there are things that do make us anxious. Those are facts. And if it wasn't a struggle, there wouldn't be a reason why God said, don't worry, don't be afraid, and don't be anxious. But 
It's during those times of worry, fear, and anxiety you have to trust. That is where faith kicks in. And when faith kicks in, God says, I'll make you a deal. I'll take all your worry, fear, and anxiety and replace it with peace. Now that's a good deal. That's a real good deal. The problem is you have to make the deal. You have to go to him and say, Lord, here's the worry. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about the finances. I'm worried about work. Lord, Lord I'm doing the best I can, and now I'm going to commit the rest to you. Lord, in faith, I trust you. Lord, I'm fearful. I'm fearful about my health. I'm fearful about my kids' health. I'm fearful that I'm not going to be able to pay the bills. I'm fearful what's going to happen. Lord, I, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to commit the rest to you. There, Lord, take that fear and place it with faith. Lord, I'm anxious. Boy, Philippians 4, 6-8, be anxious for nothing. But by prayer and petition, present your request to God with thanksgiving, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. What a deal that is. Lord, I'm anxious, I'm worked up, so therefore I give you that worry, fear, and anxiety, and you give me peace. So in prayer, I give that to you. But here's the thing. If you give it to the Lord, let him have it. So often we pray, Lord, take care of this, and then you immediately take it back and you start reanalyzing it, rehashing it, rethinking it. What am I going to do? That's not giving it to him. That's not giving it to him at all. Giving it to him is like taking your car to the shop. You have to leave it there. You have to trust they're going to work on it. When you give it to the Lord, you have to leave it there at the feet of Jesus in his hands and say, Lord, I trust you're going to work on this. I've done the best I can through your power, your strength, your might, and your wisdom, and now I commit the rest to you, and Lord, I ask for your blessing on it. See, but here's the thing. Worry, fear, and anxiety, those are sins that pull us down in our walk with the Lord. Those are sins that bring depression over us. And you've heard us joke about this all the time. We always consider worry some type of genetic thing. My mom was a worrier. I'm a worrier. You're a worrier because you choose to be a worrier. You're fearful because you choose to be fearful. And you're anxious because you choose to be anxious. That's the truth. That's the truth when it comes to me, too. I choose to let worry, fear, and anxiety get the best of me. Or I have to trust that the Lord is working even when I don't see it. And in faith, Lord, I trust that. Because what's the flip side of this? You can let worry, fear, and anxiety control you, and what's going to happen? It's going to cause depression. It's going to bring you down, guys. It's going to discourage you, depress you, and you're going to be walking around in this cloud, devoid of joy, devoid of peace. And what's the point of living like that? That's why God says, trust me and let me get you through it. The worship team here wants to come forward to find a final song. Um, this is what I want to do here to end with is uh, anytime I think there's something about worry, fear, anxiety, I always want to let you know there's people that care and there's people that are going to be praying for you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be over here, and uh, during the final song, if you've got anything you want to pray about, anything that's pulling you down, that worry, that fear, that anxiety, come up here and let's pray about it. Let's seek the Lord on it. You know, Tim and Kelly are going to uh, just let the Lord lead there, and if I'm praying, they'll go ahead and close you out the word of prayer and let you guys go. 